You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish, and oh boy, do we have a great episode for everybody today. Joining us, uh, guess we've had a couple of times, but it's been a little while. Charting man Dan of the Chart Guys, welcome back to the show, sir. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, Dan... um, for I'm sure most of you already know him, but uh, for those who are unfamiliar with him, as a reminder, is a technical specialist, somebody who focuses on charts, um, but has, I think, some pretty good knowledge in the cannabis sector and has been paying attention to the sector for quite some time. Isn't that right, Dan? Yeah, about 13, just over 13 years at this point. And, you know, wow. it's a, a spectrum of, of fundamental and technical analysis. And I'm somewhere on there, you know, definitely. Uh, one of my friends said, uh, the technicals tell you when the fundamentals tell you where. So, you know, Ooh, I like the story, that. Yeah. The story of the cannabis fundamentals tells me to look at this sector and be paying attention and the, the technicals help with my timing and risk management and all that. I, I really like that you started off that way because that's always something that's fascinating when I talk to someone like yourself to, to dig into, because when I got into this industry, um, which is back in 2017. It's not quite as long as, as you, but um, I was very just fundamentally focused coming from the world of real estate investing. And I always said, I think the technical stuff is is kind of hocus pocus, right? But um, what I appreciate about you is that you're somebody I think who's very honest and is just constantly you know, sticking to your game plan and trying to educate people on how you look at things. Um, and you're, I think, very straightforward on what you know and what you don't know. Right, which I think is very important if you want to succeed. You need to understand what you're good at and you need to understand what your blind spots are. And what's interesting to me is looking how at how you meld these two things, right? Because you are a technical guy. But then when I, you know, hear you do some of your longer videos, and not even today, I mean some of the videos I heard you do years ago, um, there was like this hour long, like almost lecture you did about the US cannabis industry back in like twenty eighteen or nineteen. I watched on YouTube before we ever first connected. So, um, and it struck me, I was like, Hey, this guy actually knows a lot more than just a technical guy looking at charts, right? You actually do take time to dig into the companies and, and we'll talk about that more today, but it's fascinating to me to look at the mix that goes into, you know, even when you're just looking at charts. Yeah. And it's, you know, for me, it's just the probabilities of, of fundamentally, you know, nailing something years out for me and my style, it's, it's really low. So that's where the technicals help me, you know, help guide me in terms of, should I keep sticking with this name or, you know, give up and move on, especially this sector, as we all know, that has so much volatility in both directions. And, and so look, let's, you know, the agenda for today, we're going to be talking about, you know, how you look at the space, especially in the context of what we're hoping is going to happen this year. Right. So with the backdrop of these potentially huge catalysts, how do you decide how to trade slash invest in these names? Right. So to your point, you know, we're going to look at, you know, the timing. We're going to look at the risk management. We're going to look at, you know, which names um, and, and how you think about kind of the risk reward 
with let's take two of the biggest catalysts, which are rescheduling and then the uh, potential for Florida to go recreational by being on the ballot. Right. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's going to be interesting to, to delve into that. So just taking a step back, maybe just talk about you've been you know, involved with cannabis for a long time. You also do, you know, other trading, right? Whether it's coins or, or stocks. So I guess maybe just give us a little bit of uh, education and background in terms of uh, where cannabis fits into what you do over at the chart guys and how you've looked at it over the last, you know, couple of years. Yeah. So it's, it's near and dear to my heart, just in the sense that, you know, the first stock I ever bought was a cannabis penny stock. And it was just, you know, the recognition of the, the shifting, tides in the country and sentiment and, uh, you know, wanting to, to be a part of that and to, to capitalize on that. And so and just, what, what year was that? That was 2010. So, uh, Florida, Amazing. no, Cal- California had a, a recreational vote that failed. I think it was prop 19 and, you know, I donated and got my prop 19 shirt and <laughs> I was, I was all about it just in terms of, you know, this is absurd. I, you know, I read the book, the emperor wears no clothes by Jack uh-huh. Herrer. And it just shows the absurdity of the 1930s and how we got to where we are today. And sure. it really, you know, seeded my distrust for the government to step one. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's just following the sector and just I go where volatility is. So, you know, I'll jump on crypto and Bitcoin. I'll jump on the semiconductors. I don't care what it is. They're just they're flashing numbers to me. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't fall in love with stories and I don't attach to them. It's just as long as the volatility and the price action is serving what I'm looking to do, which is profit, uh, then, then I'll stick around and pay attention. And, and you know, it's the kind of thing where uh, 2014 came around and we had Colorado and Washington legalizing. And I made, you know, that was my best performing year at that point, playing these, these penny stocks into that momentum. And mm. I just remember having the realization, like, I cannot wait until we have real cannabis company companies until, you know, there's, they're uplisted on the NYSE and the NASDAQ and it's an actual industry. And mm-hmm. just knowing that that's going to happen eventually. And just, you know, having that realization at that point, I was a, you know, early 20 year old saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to trade this sector for the next decade plus as this continues to progress. And so, you know, here we are on the cusp of potentially some of the biggest catalysts. I mean, there haven't really been federal catalysts in this sector. It's been all state catalysts that's and, right. And so that's, you know, the, the biggest change of people look, well, yeah, schedule three, but it only does this and this, but really it's just, that's the first big win federally. And, you know, that, that can be enough to, to cause the spark to get the ball rolling. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, it's a great point to keep in mind. Right. So I think just going back to what you were saying, the fact that, you know, you look at volatility across whatever it is, right. When it comes to other asset classes, so not let's take coins out of it for a second, but other stocks that you would look at, is it at all fundamentally driven or is it just looking at charts and looking at volatility? It is the the vast majority is is technical, but you know, there's little storylines that pop up. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. the, A, the AI narrative is the easy one recently here with uh, semiconductors and, you know, that's enough for me to focus on AI stocks and their volatility and then look at AI crypto coins and just, you know, the, 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 the social aspect of trading is fascinating and the psychological aspect and just watching how social media has changed the game just in my, you know, 13 year career. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that aspect of it just in terms of following these threads of, of how, you know, the, the social media aspect connects people and, and leads to these narratives that gain traction. And so, uh, just looking to capitalize on that. But uh, the key for me is, you know, not falling in love and, you know, cutting is what I like to say is 
the the stock needs to to earn my capital by you know showing me price action volume whatever I need to be seeing and as soon as that changes I ditch it you know I I don't owe anything to these companies and if if they're underperforming or if the fundamentals aren't lining up with the technicals uh, I will kick them to the curve very quickly and and go back to cash because I learned my lessons very early on about bag holding and I will never do that again. Yeah. And that comes into having a game plan and sticking to it, right? As a fundamental investor, you're often saying, okay, this is my thesis. And, you know, you kind of like if there's, if you're, you know, value investing or deep value investing, you're looking for something that's misunderstood, right? And so you might have to hold your nose and understand that the stock can get, can go down more before um, people, you know, uh, agree with your thesis. And you might have a longer term horizon of a year, two years plus, because you don't know when it's going to come around. Right. Um, and, and that's, but the, the discipline part of it is, okay, what would make me change my thesis? Right. So if I, my fundamental thesis is that, Hey, they're about to have a big sales boom or their margins going to improve. Well, if that hasn't happened or that starts to go the wrong way after a certain amount of time, then you have to be willing to pull the trigger on it. Right. And it sounds like with you, you know, you, you, uh, look at the charts, you look at the story, um, but what, what has to change for you to say, you know what, forget this, this is, this is, uh, not good for me anymore. I'm, I'm going to get out of it. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And, and that's a, an important point is you, you need the thesis before you ever enter the trade, because you need right. to know when you're wrong. Like you need a clear mm-hmm. something that tells you you are wrong. And so for me, it's price. You know, if, if I've got a key level, that's the last, you know, weekly higher low pivot. And my thesis is, you know, it, this, this is a, a, inverse head and shoulders pattern trying to shape up. And uh, I can say, if this is going to be an inverse head and shoulders, this level has to hold. And if that level breaks, I'm wrong. And so that's where my stop loss goes. It'll go under that level, you know, with a little bit of wiggle room, but uh, always having that invalidation point very clearly laid out. So it's very easy to to admit that when you're wrong. And, and as a trader, day trader, you know, I'm wrong multiple times every single week. And so mm. you got to get really good at being wrong and that also, you know, brings your ego into play in terms of, you know, being able to say that and be humble and, and being wrong is, is a very frequent part of this game. I think that's great. I, I think too often, especially people who are, you know, personalities are, are scared to say they're wrong or admit that they're wrong, right? They always, always have to be right um, or they don't like to admit it. But, you know, that's, that's the game, right? Knowing when you're wrong and being able to change and correct, et cetera. That's very important. And anyone who has been invested in this industry knows what it's like to be wrong and painfully, embarrassingly wrong, right? So um, just to go back to what you're talking about. So do you typically hold positions overnight or no? Uh, I will. I, I, I've gone from, I've shifted, you know, I was a pure day trader. And then after 10,000 plus hours in front of the screen and you know, reaching some capital goals and it's like, okay, how, how much is this worth it now? Am I going to do this for the rest of my life? And I'm just on the computer for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm shifting in the sense that, you know, I'm doing more swing trading, I'm off the computer more. And that's been an adjustment where I have to get used to, to drawdowns. You know, I'm used to my goal being my, I just want more, a higher net worth than yesterday. I'm just looking to keep, you know, keep that trajectory going up. Whereas with swing trading, drawdowns are absolutely part of it. You know, if you've got an uptrend that lasts two years, there's periods there where you're going to pull back 10, 15 plus 20%. 
And so that that's a psychological adjustment that has to take place. And when you have something like what we have now with, you know, okay, we know there's a dangling carrot. We know soon in terms of a DEA decision, mm-hmm. I will, I will swing trade a core position that I won't be jumping in and out of. And then I will be uh, shorter term trading in a different account. So I can psychologically separate the two uh, and, you know, doing a lot more short term stuff. That's an interesting uh, point of what you're saying here. So even you, someone like you, who's got a lot of experience, you know, got a lot of discipline, you find it easier to break it into two accounts. Yeah, because there's there's times where it's like, you know, let's say we shoot up all morning. Mm-hmm. I know hourly consolidation is due. And, you know, on that hourly consolidation, we can pull back 5%. And so, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to just sit here and watch it happen with a full position. Uh, but I also don't want to exit you know, my full position for that hourly consolidation because, you know, a headline drops or maybe it doesn't pull back as much as I think and it keeps breaking out. And the next thing you know, I don't have the position that I wanted. And so uh, that's something that, you know, when when there is a fundamental backdrop, uh, I am much more open. And it's the same thing, you know, I've got my IRA and I had never had a long-term position in it, but then you know, the COVID dump happens and 2022 happens. And it's like, okay, if we're going to see significant fear, that's when I buy, you know, spy and just long-term no touch position and just buy significant fear and, and let it sit and, you know, worry about it when my, when I can access my funds in 30 years or whatever out of that IRA. And so uh, it's, yeah, there is, there's, I need the fundamental backdrop if I'm going to have a, a core swing position. So let's just talk about that for a second. How has something like MSOS being available on big boards, how has that changed uh, your way of looking at it? Or has it changed anything for you? Uh, it has, just liquidity. I mean, my my trading style is, um, you know, I like to be in when I want in and out when I want out. And uh, and as I mentioned, you know, position size is growing. It definitely, you know, I can't, I can't market by $100,000 of some of these OTC names without the order taking, you know, just partial fill, partial fill, partial mm-hmm. fill. It mm-hmm. takes a minute plus to fill. And it, you know, I've now moved the price one and a half, two percent with my market buy. Whereas, you know, something like Tesla on the the high exchange or the I should say the MYSE or MSOS even, uh, it fills much faster. Uh, even just, you know, with fidelity, I can't place stop losses on an OTC name and I can on uh, names on the NASDAQ and MYSE. And that's just an extra layer of comfort, you know, I need my stop losses to manage my risk. So uh, there, there are a lot of different factors that come along with uplisting. And we saw that in the Canadian names in 2017 and 18, when they uplisted and the massive shift that happened to those trading instruments when that happened. And uh, that's what a lot of people are excited about looking towards the US. Yeah. So it, I, it's really interesting to hear you say that because we get, you know, emails from our listeners sometimes and they talk about, you know, when the stocks are going up, they go, yeah, look, I'm up 30% or 40% on what I paid. But they're like, look, I didn't get in this industry to make 30%. I got into triple, you know, or more. And I'm really curious to hear how you and, and guys like you look at it, because I see, you know, some of the the traders who kind of entered the space recently, and I see them, you know, just kind of track what they post to get a feel of their mindset. And, you know, they'll post about some stock where they made three or 4%, right, in a day or two, right? And, you know, not knocking it, but, you know, we can move that much quite easily in cannabis, right? So they they make, you know, 3% in a day and they go, look at this huge win, right? 
Um, but the other side of the coin is then when you know they own a cannabis stock and it goes down four percent in a day, that's a huge loss for them, yeah. right? So just talk to me about that. I, I'm just so curious to hear how you think about it and how traders in general think about that. Yeah, it's, it's position sizing. So you know, I I will I'll put on easily five times the position size in a, a very liquid uh, Tesla versus MSOS. Okay. And, and so, you know, 5% in Tesla is a solid move in either direction. And uh, just being able to, you know, if, if I can get 5% on, you know, let's say $500,000 versus I've only got 100,000 in MSOS and I need uh, 25% to have that same capital gain. So uh, it really just depends on how large your position size is. And uh, the, the, whenever someone asks me a question about, you know, is this a good buy or whatever? My, my question is always, are you looking to be aggressive or conservative? Because mm-hmm. that that's going to determine so much in terms of the timeframes on the chart that you're looking at. You know, if you're aggressive and looking for an entry, you're going to buy hourly consolidation. If you're patient, you're going to wait for daily to pull back. And it's just, uh, you know, how much how much of your capital are you going to use up if you're if you're looking to be real aggressive? You know, there's been times in my career where I was extremely aggressive in cannabis. Uh, certainly the Canadian run was one of them. And, you know, I, I was going all in in my account and now I would, I wouldn't do that. And even, you know, even on, even on these U S catalysts, I'm not going to reach a point where I'm ever close to doing that. And that's just, you know, your, your priorities change. My priorities back then mm-hmm. were, uh, grow my account as, as fast as possible, be aggressive. Whereas now priority number one is capital preservation to not give back, uh, all the gains that worked out from that aggressive period in my life maybe six or seven years ago. And so it really, it just goes down to the individual. And, you know, the same thing with like a a 23 year old without a family and without debt, they're going to have a way different financial game plan than a a 60 year old with a family and a mortgage. And so there's so many factors that go into, you know, how are you going to trade this sector? And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some of the different market caps and some of these names and, you know, penny stocks that are going to move more than the tier one names and again, it's just how aggressive do you want to be? And that's something that you need to look yourself in the mirror, establish your game plan in advance and not be trying to scramble, you know, when emotions are heightened and when price action uh, starts really moving. Yeah. I mean, in, in another way, it's risk reward, right? So you're in a stage now where, you know, you've built something, so you have more to lose. So, and when you have a larger sum of money, you can afford to have lower returns because the absolute dollar size is a lot larger, right? Makes all the sense in the world. Whereas when you have nothing, you have nothing to lose, right? So you're more likely to push the chips in the middle um, for better or for worse, right? And that sometimes works out, sometimes it doesn't. So I, I guess um, just going over to, you know, when we're talking about the companies, you know, you're, we're going to obviously talk about stuff like market cap and volume and, and stuff that, you know, you can see on Yahoo Finance, for example, right? But how often or, or like, do you ever look at a balance sheet or financial statement? Does that come into play in your decision making at all or not? It used to, uh, but no, it does not anymore. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where uh, for me, price action is king and mm-hmm. price, price is the only truth. And I understand the other aspect of the game, as you mentioned, you know, looking for deep value and things like that. It's just not my style and it's not uh, how I approach the markets. And so for me, it's really just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care what the balance sheet says. If the balance sheet says the stock should be at $5, but it's going down and trading at, you know, 430 and it's in a downtrend and there's bearish pressure, uh, that for me is, is more important. And so, 
uh, yeah, I've, I've very much, I'd say, you know, on the, I talked about the spectrum of fundamental and technical, I'd say I'm, you know, 85% technical, 15% fundamental. And so, yeah, the time for me to, to dig into balance sheets, uh, isn't worth it in terms of a payoff. Yeah. Look, I, I think I love your honesty, right? I think a lot of people would be, um, ashamed to say something like that, even though it's true, right? Most people don't analyze balance sheets. A lot of people would say, look, it doesn't matter if, if you do. Now, there's some reasons it might, right? If the company's short on cash or whatever. But, um, you know, to your point, it's not your trading style, right? So I think it's great to be honest about that. So so let's just talk about what do you look for, right? Like what, you know, what are some of your, what's your rubric when you look at a stock and you're deciding whether or not this would be a good way to play, you know, an upcoming catalyst like rescheduling? So yeah, I look at the the dollar volume, um, and I'll zoom in and look at liquidity. You know, if, if mm-hmm. something's illiquid, then on like the fifteen minute chart, you'll have gaps and things mm-hmm. like that, and that's always a turnoff for me. And, uh, and but, just sorry, just define liquidity, like in terms of numbers. What is liquid? What's not liquid? Uh, just it, well, it, it depends on the amount of capital you're playing with. Sure. Um, but you know, I, I like I have a general rule where I ideally want to see a name that's trading. And, and volume and liquidity are different, but they go hand in hand. Um, okay. And so I want I want $5 million average daily volume. And it took a long time for a lot of these cannabis names to get there. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if something's trading $500,000 a day on average, it's just generally not going to be liquid enough for me. And you know, you can look at the, the level two and you can look at where the market makers are and the amount of shares that they have and things like that. But uh, you get a feel just... You know, I, I get a feel real quick when I place an order and I see how much slippage is behind that order and how long does it take to fill and things like that. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, the the juiciest part that's on everyone's mind is you've got an election year, you've got this um, carrot dangling, as you mentioned, right, of rescheduling. So um, people are all excited, like hoping, hey, is it this weekend? Is it this weekend? Right. And I've been cautioning that, hey, a little too much expectation of it happening right away. Right. How do you think about this in terms of if you feel the announcement is coming, but you don't know when. Right. Um, how do you decide how to play this? How how are you deciding to play this right now in terms of swing versus, you know, trading and, and when to put on exposure, when to take it off? Yeah, so I've got a, a solid swing core. And back when we had the HHS initial news, uh, that move off the low, there was so much volume behind it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tops and bottoms in markets are generally hit with very high volume. And so that was enough for me to go out on a little bit of a limb and say, I think the long-term bottom is in here. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I, you know, started establishing this position. And it is, as you mentioned, also knowing it's an election year and just going back to my 13 years, every time it was an election year, I, the game plan is end of the summer, start paying attention because that's when the sector makes its moves. And so this time around, it's a bit sooner because of these dangling carrots. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's I've got my core. And for me, I call it like, you know, my anti-FOMO position. I've got the same thing with crypto where it's just this is this is a position that I'm going to hold unless, you know, if, if the DEA came out and said, man, nah, we're going to stick with schedule one, then obviously I'm bailing everything real quick. But uh, this is a, a position that I will hold until we get a decision at the very least. And it's my anti-FOMO where, you know, if the news comes out and and I'm not at the screen or whatever, I'm going to significantly benefit. But I've also got the majority of my capital is is not tied up in plays. And so, you know, if, if I am at the computer and it's a, a good spot, then I can add on real aggressive. And what my style would be is, you know, say we get the headline dropping and I'm at the computer, 
uh, you know, a market buy a significant position. And then maybe in, you know, another day or two after uh, the the news, you know, reaches the Reddit and the Twitter and everything, uh, I'll just size down a little bit. And then, you know, I love being risk-free where I can just sell partial into an initial move up and then just stick my stop at break even and just let it play out. And uh, it's just an extremely psychologically comfortable place to be in when you position that way. And so my game plan right now is exactly that. I got my core. If the news hits, I will go aggressive. You know, I don't want to be running hard into the news. I like the fact that the sector has pulled back the last two weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, mu- I'd much rather the news drop after a two week pullback than after going straight up for two plus months. And, you know, that just a, a new wave of shorts has jumped in the last two weeks. And uh, it would, you know, it would magnify the impact, in my opinion, if you've got, you know, these new, this new wave of shorts that's going to stop out, you got maybe some profit taking capitals back on the sideline that's got to jump back in. So uh, I would not fear consolidation as long as it remains healthy. And, you know, my videos recently trying to distinguish the difference between uh, what is healthy and what is not. And at this point, the last couple of weeks has remained healthy at this point. And can you, for, for people like myself who, you know, don't even understand what consolidation means, just if you don't mind summarizing, giving us a quick little primer on like, what is, first of all, what does it mean? And what does it mean to be healthy consolidation versus not healthy consolidation? Sure. So consolidation, generally speaking, is is after, uh, you know, I, I view it uh, on the upside. Let's just talk as bulls. So mm-hmm. uh, price is going up significantly and consolidation can either mean sideways where it's just you know, the price is, is finding acceptance in a range. You think of just supply and demand and, mm-hmm. and the market is saying, yeah, this is a fair price. You know, we're having a good bit of supply and demand in this area, or it's a pullback and uh, it's just, you know, bull exhaustion. You can only go up so hard, so fast. And there's definitely some profit taking and some shorts jump in. And so just recently in the sector, MSOS had a higher low every single week, meaning the low of the week was higher than the previous week, every single week for, I think it was seven in a row. So uh, that's pretty much just only going up for seven weeks. And then that pattern breaks and you get this pullback and uh, it's very normal price action. You know, Obviously nothing goes straight up. And so uh, what I gauge as to whether it's healthy or not is number one, volume. You want increasing bull volume on the way up. You want declining bear volume, red volume on the pullback and retracement size, Fibonacci retracements I will use. And that's where you just, it's a a, a, a tool where I'll drag you know, the Fibonacci sequence from the low of the move to the high of the move. And pretty much it's just how much, what percent of the move have we given back? And mm. if we give back three, uh, three, uh, 382% or less, it's generally a bull flag, which indicates continuation. If you get back, you, is that 38.2? Yes. 38. Yeah. Uh, 38.2% of the, okay. move, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, and ahead. then, and then if you get back 50% plus, then it's a, a bit more of a red flag and, uh, that's generally when you can trade sideways for a long time within that range. And of course, if you get back, you know, 60% plus, then it's uh, uh, starts to become a big red flag where now you're giving back the majority of the move. And uh, clearly, you know, the bulls, the, the bid support, the bulls were not as strong as they appeared to be. So at this point, for the most part, the last two weeks, we've retraced just about uh, 38.2% or so. And so uh, if we can set that weekly higher low from here, uh, things are still looking great. But uh, again, the, as you mentioned, the expectation of this headline, everybody wanting it this week, this week, this week, it, it does you know put some pressure on these stocks in a sense where 
you know, if, if we don't get it, then, then people start to bail. And that's, that's actually what kicked off, you know, this consolidation was due, as I mentioned, but, you know, we had uh, this guy Sneed coming out and saying, you know, I'm here mm-hmm. and it's coming this week, you know, that we're going to get the decision this week. And as soon as that came out and started going on social media, the price spikes up, you know, 8% real quick. And mm-hmm. that's the market pricing in, we're going to get this info this week. And then it, you know, it doesn't come out this week. And so the market incorrectly priced in that information and now it's got to adjust. And anybody that bought anticipating this week, well, their thesis is now wrong. And so people sell uh, and that puts pressure on the stocks. Okay. So I just want to recap what you just said, because um, I think that was that was interesting to hear your take on it. So 38%, I'm just going to call that 40 just for easy numbers. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to put a line in at 40, 50, and 60, right? So 40, 38 is, is kind of this magic number where um, if it's less than that, then I guess you're fine, right? If it's 20%, then you're not so worried. Once you cross 40, you know, it's getting, you're starting to get worried. Um, not, not this. Well, it just, it just leads to, I call it an equilibrium where it's just a tightening range. You form a higher, low, lower, high, you, you digest a wide range and you just tighten up. And that can essentially just means, well, we're probably going to be range bound for a, a more significant period of time. Whereas when the, the retracement is, you know, 38% or less, it favors continuation because it's a, a brief dip, you know, bulls bought that dip. Bears mm-hmm. got to cover pretty quickly because they're not getting much downside follow through. And, you know, that's when you look for another leg up is when it's uh, that help that that little of a pullback. So under that 40 mark, it's kind of, you know, pointing towards a continuation in that, let's say, 40 to 50 band. You're still kind of maybe trading sideways. But when you go below 50, then you're starting to get really worried that you're going to cross 60 and that it's going to start keep, or keep going the other way. It can, you can still, you know, you can drop 60, 65 and still form the tightening range, but you then know that, that if you pulled back 65% of that move, the next bounce is going to be a lower high far more often than not. And so, you know, obviously the bulls want the higher highs for the the continued uptrend, but it essentially, you know, 50% plus retracement pullback tells you essentially that expect a lower high to be the result of the next bounce. So basically if you're pulling back that much, you know, you're the high you previously set, you're probably not going to get back there again, right? Which logically makes sense. You pulled back a lot to get back to there. You, you need a pretty significant increase anyway. Yeah. I won't say you won't get back to there, but it's going to take time. You got to, you got to digest the move. You got to, the, the supply and demand has to balance out. And then uh, it essentially just tells you it's, it's going to be a while within this range. So, so let me ask you what, you know, a question that sometimes I'm struggling with and I'm talking to other people about, which is, Okay, so we feel like this, the you know, the consensus is this is coming, right? We're going to get Schedule 3. That's consensus. We could be wrong, but that's what everyone thinks. We don't know when we're going to get it, right? And we don't know what's going to happen after we get it and, you know, going through the process and, you know, the lawsuits and et cetera. But so people start asking, well, what is the right price at which to, um, uh, to, to you know, you mentioned swing trading. So what's the right price to enter from a swing position? Right, because your core position you already hold it is what it is, but at the end of the day, you know we can do fundamental analysis and decide there's you know some you know earnings ratio that we want to enter on. But when you're a trader, right, and and let's keep it real, I mean these things are trading um, and they're trading vehicles right now. How do you decide when to push more chips in? Is it only when you get that final news, or is there other ways that you decide that hey, now's where I'm when I'm going to take a bigger swing position. 
Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, so so recently with this pullback, I, I did increase my position a bit, and that was just knowing that a weekly higher low is the most likely scenario, and just knowing that this pullback was inevitable. And you know, if I'm going to add to anything, I want to do it on consolidation. But the mm-hmm. key for me is having my stop loss nearby, where again my invalidation point, where you know if I if I buy I bought a little MSOS on this pullback, and then we bounced. I forget what day exactly, but you know, maybe Wednesday we get, we get a, a bounce up. And I think we were you know, roughly 10% off the lows of mm-hmm. this pullback. And so I, I sell a bit into that move every time because, you know, if my, let's say just rough math, if I make, you know, an entry at 895 and then I make a second entry at 835, uh, my break even is now 865. Let's mm-hmm. say we go, we go up to $9. If I sell half of what I just added, my break even is now, you know, 930 or 830. I forget what number we're on, but you know, I I then, I then can stick my stop under the low at that point for very little risk. And, you know, obviously there's headline risk. If, if the DEA comes out and says schedule one, which again is the the much less likely scenario, but always a possibility, never Mm -hmm. underestimate the DEA, but (laughs) uh, that, that obviously can, you know, skip your stop loss or whatever, but in the absence of a a big bomb headline, uh, I can, I can size up and have, very little risk where, you know, if, I, if I'm wrong and we drop to a lower low from here, I stop out either break even or tiny loss, and then just take a step back and reassess and, and wait for a new trade game plan to establish itself. But, you know, I'm always scaling in a little bit, scaling out a little bit to just try and get my uh, break even point right near my invalidation point. Okay, Dan, understood. So basically when there's some consolidation, so you buy on pullbacks, right? Makes sense. But to be clear, if you if there was a larger pullback and you were worried about you know breaching that 50-60% level, would you still be buying here today? Uh no, not not if I've got my uh core position. If I've got no position, sure, absolutely. I, I would love for it to, you know, dump. And it's the, the kind of thing where, you know, you look at True Leave recently and it has its massive run up on the initial headlines and the excitement mm-hmm. that that Florida is going to get a vote. And then it has its significant pullback, some of it having to do with rebalancing of, you know, some of the other ETFs, not MSOS. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing where if you are confident that we're going to get uh, a vote and ideally, obviously, passing that vote, uh, you you want as much pullback as you can in the meantime. If, if you know, your finish line is high conviction that we're going to get that run up in response to that fundamental catalyst then anything in the meantime, uh, you know, you, you want low prices. And so that would be more of a, a fundamental approach. But again, you know, I would, I would take that fundamentals into consideration a bit where, you know, if things do get, cr- this, the thing about the sector is there's so much PTSD from people in this sector. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to trigger it. And you see it on social media and even just this, you know, for me, this is an extremely healthy, normal pullback, but everybody instantly goes to, oh my gosh, here we go again, manipulation. Yeah. You know, the, the ETF is working with the shorts to drive prices down. and It's all uh, Shardy B's fault. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You see, she's learning uh, how fast they they turn on you, and it's uh, it's it's fascinating. You know, the the comments and the support I'll get when things are going up yep. versus when they're pulling back. Um, yeah, it's it's wild. But again, that's just one of the the social psychological aspects of this game, which make it fascinating and interesting to me. Yeah, it, it, listen, it is what it is, and you know, sure, maybe you wish it wasn't that way, but I always say, don't fight reality. 
right? Because reality always wins. So acknowledge what it is and, uh, you know, figure out a way to make it work, right? So so I want to go back to this bit, though, and, and we'll talk about Florida in a second, but because it sounds to me like, like to your point, obviously, if you think Schedule 3 is coming, right, or you think Florida is getting on the ballot, you want the prices to pull back as much as you can before you buy. Okay, that's simplest thing in the world, right? We want to buy as low as possible because we believe the end goal is still in sight, right? Um, that The hard part, I think, for investors and probably traders as well is where do you buy it? What price do you buy, right? Because when you pull up the charts, you go, well, is it going to go back to the lows of what it was before, right? If people start getting um, you know, depressed that it hasn't happened by, let's say, 420, right? Um, and just nobody knows, right? But it sounds to me like you risk mitigate on your swing trading by saying, okay, I'm going to buy MSOS at you know nine bucks, for example, but I'm going to keep a stop, you know, a couple percent below that, right? So if I lose, I'm only going to lose X percent, and that's okay. I'll wait and reevaluate, right? Yeah, that's uh, sorry to that, cut that, you off. Yeah, that's sorry, a, I understand that. That's a, a significant part of my strategy mm-hmm. as a trader is is knowing worst case scenario before I ever press buy. If I know where my stop is, I know how much I'm going to lose. I accept it before I even press buy. I say, all right, you know, worst case, I lost this many dollars. I know mm-hmm. I can be completely okay with that. And, you know, if it does drop down and break my stop, like I said, I take a step back and reassess because, you know, maybe that just means I rebuy again, maybe 7% lower or whatever it is. I need to mm-hmm. see how things shake out. But uh, for, for those that are not traders, which is the majority of people here and certainly most listening, uh, it's it's I find that newer people into markets have this all or nothing mindset where you're either in or you're out. And I would do everything I can to, to get that out of your brain and just, you know, scaling in. If you got capital that you're going to buy uh, uh, the sector on, break it up into to five things 20%. So, you know, buy 20% this week and buy 20% next week and and that really averages things out a little bit because even as a full-time trader, I do not have any expectations of nailing tops and bottoms. It's an unrealistic expectation to put on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to 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 have that wiggle room in terms of you know, also the mindset, you know, if I've got if I've entered two out of five positions and it keeps dropping, I can psychologically not be distressed and say, okay, good. I can keep buying lower. Good thing I saved my capital. Whereas, you know, if you buy in and you use all your ammo right away, and then we drop another 10%, you know, you're, you're down on yourself and, oh man, I'm in the red this much and I need this much to get back to even. And it's just, you know, a very, it's a much more forgiving thing to break up your orders into different sized positions and uh, to, to not have expectations to nail tops and bottoms. Yeah, and I think that was a that's a great tip, and I think it's also interesting, you know, when you talked about keeping different accounts, right? So just just ways that you can psychologically help um, differentiate and and give your you know forced discipline, basically, right? But just so I understand, is that something you do in terms of uh, splitting up the amount of money you're going to put over time, or no? Yeah, I mean, just this most recent pullback, uh, I had. I broke it up into thirds and I only, I filled two out of three positions in MSOS. And it was just, you know, the, the indicators, the four hour time frame was getting oversold. And, you know, we were touching weekly EMA 12. It's an exponential moving average that I often use just a, a, a couple, what I call a confluence of signals, a couple things aligning. And again, it's just, you know, I've observed so many charts and so many tens of thousands of hours that 
uh, I know when certain things align, probabilities uh, shift. And I never know what's going to happen, but I know that you know more likely than not, we're going to get a short-term bounce here that's going to allow me to exit a bit in profit and you know get a comfortable break even. And so you know, I, I did enter a bit on the initial $9 break and I did enter a bit more down around 835 or so. And I did exit some back on the move up towards nine. And, you know, if it had dropped one more leg down, I had another third of the capital that I was willing to put into play. And, you know, if I fill it all and we keep dropping, then my, my dollar amount that I'm willing to risk on that trade is my stop out level. And uh, fortunately, you know, I always like when I don't fill the entire position because that means I'm never sweating at any point. You know, once I've used up all my ammo, all the all the positions I'm willing to put in, then it's like, okay, well, I hope we bounce now, otherwise I'm gonna stop out with that loss. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a trading style, and you know, I love playing oversold bounces. It's one of my edges as a trader when things mm. are just you know the absolute capitulation, fear, maximum dump. And uh, that's part of that strategy. Because again, I'm, I don't expect to nail the absolute capitulation bottom, mm -hmm. but you know, I know the signs that it's shaping up and I can uh, you know, scale in a few orders and, and try and remain in control of my cost basis. So it's an interesting um, point you're making there, right? About you, you like to buy fear. That makes sense. That's something I think I do as well. But you know, it's, some people call it uh, catching a falling knife, right? Um, I'm curious about the other side of the coin. So tomorrow we get rescheduling news, um, hypothetically, right? <laughs> but, uh, you, you get it, right? So you've said you would go and you would market buy, right? Buy up a bunch of, of MSOS or, or what have you, right? Um, so the other side of the coin, how do you decide when to sell? So you talked about, you know, you let it rip, it, it gets out there, you know, other people pick up on it, you'll lighten up on your position. But that core position you have, when is it time to say, okay, that's going to start getting sold off? Uh, for me, it's it's generally euphoria. And that's where, again, monitoring the social aspect of things helps me. When, when you know, if, if we're up 200% off the lows, 250%, whatever, and, you know, people are talking about, you know, we're just getting started. We're going to go up another 10 times from here. Just when when everybody's looking in one direction, it starts to make me uncomfortable in that direction. And mm. so- it's trends, you know, it's price action. If every time we're pulling back on the hourly chart, we're setting a higher low and, you know, then I, I let it run because we're in a, just a solid uptrend. But if we lose the hourly uptrend, then I trim a bit of the position and then I go to the daily. And if we pull back and form a daily higher low, okay, no, no worries, still in control. You lose the daily uptrend, okay, you exit a bit more position because things are shifting. Um, and so, you know, I, I will, I'm always uh, pretty... I don't know the word I'm looking for. I'm 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 pretty liberal with my profit taking, um, mm -hmm. and and that's because I've learned my lesson so many times. Where you know the 2017 crypto boom, I didn't nail the top. I was scaling out. I was selling into that move, and mm -hmm. and the Canadian Canadian run, I'm selling into the move because I don't have expectations of nailing the top. But I know that when the top is hit, we're gonna drop. You know, 30, 50 percent. And that's the thing with this sector. You know, you can you can believe in the fundamental long term story. But mm -hmm. it's it, these headlines are going to make it headlines plus social media will make it so hype driven. I mean, we've seen it so many times where there's the valuations get a bit crazy and start stop making sense. And you just know that you're in an environment where it's unsustainable. And the semiconductors just did it. SCMI, this stock just went up insane amounts. But you know that when it tops, it's going to pull back 
20 to 40% easily because there's no support established on the way up. And it's just a fervor of, of euphoria that always comes crashing down eventually. And so the harder we run, the, the more aggressively I take profit because the harder we run, the more aggressively we're going to pull back. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk. I mean, it, the things that struck me are dialed in and risk mitigation, right? So you're watching very closely the charts, right? And obviously you're good at watching the charts. And once you see that we're losing momentum or losing a little bit of steam, you're like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of risk off, take a little bit. Of risk. So you're just trimming, you know, whatever, however you do it, but you're mitigating your risk the whole way. But it strikes me that in order to do that, you're very dialed in, right? Like you're saying, it's a lot of time in front of a computer looking at charts, um, which is fine if that's what you're doing full time, right? But does that strategy work for people who, you know, just don't have that kind of time to put into this? And if that's the case, you know, it are they is it okay to be doing it kind of you know here and there, or or is it like hey, if that's if you if you have a day job and you can't be in front of a computer x hours a day, um, do you have to just use a completely different strategy? Yeah, that's an important distinction. You know, if if you if your job has you away from a computer, you don't want to miss the news. So maybe you know because I know I'm probably going to be at a computer when the news hits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm I'll only have this position size. But if you're not confident that you're going to be at a computer, well, then you want to have a, a larger position size just so you don't miss that initial move up. And and yeah, it's it's you know it takes the the number one thing I'll tell everybody is if you want to get good at trading. It takes thousands of hours. Like there's no sugarcoating it just like mm-hmm. anything in life. And so if you're not doing that, that's fine. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, just small amounts. Even, even if it just helps you psychologically, like, oh man, should I be taking some profit? Sell 5% of your position and just, you know, allow a little bit of an exhale and a little bit of a breather. Now you got capital. If we pull back and you want to buy a dip or you locked in some profit, it just, it's again, it's it's part of that scaling in and scaling out that is psychologically forgiving. Whereas, you know, if you're thinking, well, I, I got to sell it all now, uh, you're not going to nail the top and it's going to go up a bit more and you're going to say, oh man, you know, did I make a mistake? And then you're going to rebuy again higher, but then that's mm-hmm. going to be the top. And then we start pulling back. So uh, again, I, I just, the number one thing is establish your game plan in advance. And and as much as you can, you know, I I'm, I don't know what price I'm going to sell at because I don't know how much volume is going to come in. I don't know, you know, are we going to trend on Wall Street bets? All these things are unknown to me that I'm going to be observing in the moment. We're going to be getting this information as it's happening. So mm-hmm. that can that information shapes our decisions to a certain degree. But you can have a game plan saying, you know, okay, is I, I tell everybody to to understand price action trends. If, if you're going to learn anything about technical analysis, just focus on that. And, you know, you put in a couple dozen hours and you can get that concept down fairly easily. You know, we got a, a free technical analysis course and there's there's plenty of sources online to learn how to do that. And that's, that's your guide. That's your, you know, if, if you're in an hourly uptrend, the momentum is still going. You've got nothing to worry about. And then you lose the hourly uptrend, you exit, 10% of your position or whatever, but have some metrics to be going off of. Because again, if you do not have anything laid out in advance, you are going to be making decisions with your money when your emotions are literally at the most heightened that they've been mm. in with regards to markets in, you know, however long, which is the last thing you want to be doing. That's that's how professionals like myself capitalize on retail. It's because retail makes decisions in heightened 
emotional states and they're the wrong decisions. And a professional looks at it and says, I've seen this 10 times. You know, my, my heart is not racing on this dump. I'm not dripping sweat because I've seen this so many times. And, you know, when you're clicking that sell button at the bottom, I'm clicking the buy button. And so mm. you just, just don't succumb to your emotions in the moment. And that's why, you know, I literally tell all, all everyone I talk to, to write it out, write down, you know, I've got a, a sheet next to me right now in front of my computer that says, when schedule three news hits, I'm going to buy this many shares of this, this many shares of this, and this many shares of this, because that means I don't have to do anything in the moment. I'm not mm-hmm. scrambling. I'm not making decisions. I look down at my paper. I do what the paper says. And that el- eliminates a lot of the potential mistakes that could be made. So let's just talk about that real quick, right? So schedule three news hits. So we talked about market buy MSOS, right? If would you market buy the underlying or is it too volatile, illiquid for you to do that? I would because MSOS is going to halt. And <clears throat> and if MSOS is halted for you know three, five minutes, whatever it is, uh, the underlyings will keep trading at least. Uh, you know, And you'll probably see that's, – that's part of the reason sometimes where you'll see these Canadian names uh, get you know legs behind their moves. Number one, short squeeze because – they're so weak that they've got a bunch of shorts on them. But mm-hmm. uh, number two is, you know, if MSOS is halted, you go to the underlyings and I will market by, you know, some underlyings and also, you know, TLRY and, and CGC. Yes, they are extremely weak. Yes, this is the biggest divergence between the U.S. and the Canadian names that we've ever seen. The U.S. is the strongest it's ever been compared to these Canadian names. But uh, we've seen time and time again, these names will short squeeze and have, huge moves up very quickly. You sell into those moves. Uh, And just this most recent example, you know, the HHS headline comes out and MSOS runs up, you know, 50% in a few days. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's a period where, you know, we don't do much. There was maybe three days there where MSOS starts to trade a little bit of sideways. And during that three days, CGC goes up another hundred percent because it's a, you know, it activated the short squeeze or whatever needed to happen to get that momentum going. And so, you know, I'll, I'll be open to buying uh, MSOS, the underlyings, and I will look to those Canadian names because because of that, just that, you know, there's a, there's enough shorts in those names that uh, I do expect squeeze-like action when the headline hits. Okay, that, that, so that's a good tidbit, right? To think that you, it's not just, you know, our favorite names, right? It's some, some outliers that might get that, that squeeze action. And on that point, you know, ever since GameStop, I mean, you can't look at a stock that retail investors like without hearing about the potential for a short squeeze, right? It's like, it's always on the list now. And someone like me who, you know, you can check short interest and you have a kind of fuzzy idea, but I never really know, like, like how do you, and, and curious your thoughts on this. So when people say, hey, the short interest on MSOS is super high, how do you as a trader and a chart guy actually kind of verify or get a good sense of that? Yeah, that's that's definitely overplayed. Uh, and okay. you know, there, there was a time where, when when Wall Street bets was headhunting high short interest, yep. you know, there was a list where you know they're going after GME, and then there's a list of you know twenty stocks that are just ripping because they mm-hmm. have high short. Then it makes sense, absolutely, because again, you're just following the social trend, you're following the narrative, and you know, with just generally speaking, again, as a full time trader, I don't find a ton of use in those names. I mean, I should say, I, I don't find a ton of use in in that information. Mm-hmm. And just because there's so many times, yeah, we have really high short interest, but the price is going down. And 
You know, it's, it's, it's not something I will base decisions off of. Maybe it's the kind of thing where I'll say, okay, there's really high interest. Maybe I'm going to, you know, instead of selling half of my position here, maybe I'll sell a third of it and see if we can really get this move going. You know, yeah. I'll be, I'll be open to it in that regard, but in terms of, oh, there's really high short interest. So I'm going to buy, uh, I've, I've never done that in my life. But it is guiding your decision when you say, hey, I'm going to go for a Tilray or a CGC because you've you've seen the pattern of how much they spike because of the squeeze, right? So there's yeah. a little bit of the thesis of like, if you know, if the announcement hits, these guys will also get some benefit in terms of a short squeeze. Yeah. And it's also, you know, one thing I always do is, is I say put on my bear, you know, if I'm a bull, I put on my bear glasses, which just means... I analyze things as if I'm bearish because I, I don't want to develop too significant a bias. I want to know, you know, what's the other, if I was bearish, what would I be thinking when I'm looking at this chart? And so I know just, you know, looking at CGC, okay, you got dilution, you've got a clear downtrend, you've got an extremely bearish name. I know there's a ton of shorts in it. I don't need to look at any numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if I'm trading this name, I'm bearish and I'm short because that's what the price action has been dictating is the correct thing to be doing. And, you know, I'm sure the fundamentals align with that. But you know that if the headline spikes, the shorts are going to race to cover and, you know, the longs are going to race to buy. And uh, that's one thing where just little observations like Reddit or Wall Street Bets likes Tilray. You know, that's one of their most talked about cannabis tickers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that goes back to the pump to 300 forever ago that made absolutely mm -hmm. no sense. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's that's the information where I would say, all right, you know, I'm going to jump into I, I, I bought my MSOS on the headline. I, I bought my, you know, underlying, maybe it's a tier two, whatever, to get a little bit of more volatility exposure. Cause generally the tier two, tier three names are going to move a more significant percentage. But then I go, all right, well, now let's jump in some TLRY because I know that there's the potential of that squeeze. And I know, you know, Reddit's going to be talking about it. And it's just, it's just diversification of, you know, a handful of different names and uh, just wanting to, to be in a position in case we get that two-day 50% move. And what do you, how do you feel about MSOX versus MSOS? Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't traded it actively. I know it's, it's again, the liquidity is not ideal. Um, for me, I've, I've got enough capital in my day trading account that if I want, you know, two X, I'm just going to use twice the capital. And I know mm -hmm. obviously that's not the case for everybody where, you know, maybe it, it makes more sense to, to use that for the, for the added leverage or to, to allow you to have some other capital elsewhere. Uh, but just for me, it's it's not an instrument that is a part of my game plan. Got it. So just to switch gears, you're coming to the end, and I, I really want to talk about Florida. So you did, a, I think, a, a great little intro video on, you know, wreck in Florida, right? Some some good stuff, just comparing it to Missouri, you know, what the potential could be from a, a dollar per uh, capita perspective. So Florida is something like, a $2 billion market today, you know, between one and a half and two estimated. Um, could it double? Could it triple? Right. Hard to say. But I think, you know, Kim Rivers is thrown around the $6 billion number. And, uh, you know, when you think about the amount of tourists they have, I think that's very possible. Think about the fact that they've had a lot of price compression. And very quickly, I think you'd start to go the other way um, because of just the sheer volume that the state would consume. Um, and the fact that, you know, you have a lot of enforcement and not a lot of illegal dispensaries in the state, uh, it could, I think it would be the greatest opportunity uh, we've ever seen in the industry. So let me ask you about this. So before April 1st, we're going to get a decision on the Supreme Court and whether it's going to be on the ballot, right? So it's 
roughly five to six weeks from today. And it could happen before that too, right? But that's the deadline is April 1st. So you look at, let's say, the two companies that I would say are the most levered to the opportunity. So the first is TrueLeave, which is a monster, 130-something stores, um, in a little bit of a position where they're treading water right now because of price compression and competition, et cetera. Uh, they're leading you know, the initiative. And um, if it gets on the ballot, they'll be the ones who will spearhead the initiative to you know, get the 60% that you need, right? So obviously, that stock has got a lot of love from the idea that it's going to be on the ballot. The way other end of the spectrum is Cansortium, um, which I own a lot of, and that's a very small, tiny penny stock, um, tiny, tiny market cap, you know, mostly debt, but again, would be a huge beneficiary um, relative to its size in terms of going wreck, right? So you're in a situation where before the decision has even come out, because of what DeSantis said, you've had a lot of run up on these stocks. They're up, you know, they were at one point, let's say up 100%, and that's retraced. And you're up something like 50%, let's say, okay? Um, so me as a, you know, just looking at it fundamentally, you go, look, if if it gets on the ballot, then you have suddenly a very good shot, um, or at least, a, a, you know, a reasonable shot of something that could, you know, two to three X these businesses, right? Um, but if you don't get on the ballot, then it's really going to hurt these companies. And I'm kind of struggling with, you know, if you if you double before it gets on the ballot, do you take some risk off, right? And after hearing how you think about it, you know, it sounds like it's good to take some risk off in general, just even psychologically. But I'm I'm curious to hear your thinking on something like this, which is a binary outcome that we just won't know until we know. Yeah. Uh, so so if if I'm you, you know, you got let's say you got holdings in this this less liquid small cap company. You know, no yeah. one ever talks about hedging or anything like that in this sector. And so, you know, if, if I'm you and we get no vote coming in Florida, mm-hmm. I've, I've got capital set aside where I will short uh, true leave as soon as that headline hits to then allow me to, to try and, you know, size down and exit the illiquid name. Obviously, you know, you can't dump that illiquid name without dumping the price. And it's, it's you know, harder to unwind that position. So you need a hedging game plan where you're, you know, you're able to profit somewhere else on that negative headline to try and ease the the big loss that that you would see from that low cap name, but uh, it's the kind of thing where you know getting familiar with the concept of priced in is essential. And you know if you Google chart guys priced in, we got a whole video on it. But you know I don't I don't think it's priced in. But the, the move up that we've saw over the last six weeks is the some of it being priced in. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's why we're going up because DeSantis says you know I think we're going to get a vote, and so. Now, all of a sudden, let's say the, the probability was 50-50. Well, now the probability is 75-25. And so sure. s- some of that move gets priced in. And uh, that just means that when the headline hits, you're not going to get as much upside because people you know, are front running that news, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I would e- expect uh, it would definitely help all those uh, heavy Florida names probably see another leg up or at least get back to their recent highs. And uh, it would be the kind of thing where, you know, I would establish how important, you know, which, which headline am I going for here? Is it the DEA headline or the Florida headline? Obviously getting both would be uh, extremely beneficial, but let's say we get, all right, we're going to get the vote in Florida, but we're still waiting on the DEA. Well, then maybe I let the position ride a little bit longer for the potential that we get the second catalyst headline 
so again, conservative or aggressive, you know, if I want to be conservative, I'm going to sell some into a big pop. Uh, if I want to be aggressive and, you know, try and, and change my financial life a bit with this opportunity, then I'm going to let it run, let the whole position run. If we've got the other carrot still dangling. Uh, so again, that's where it boils down to your individual goals and, and financial situation as to how you would approach it. And uh, you mentioned a couple things here, you know, the uh, technical analysis course, as well as your priced in video. So after this, I'll, I'll make sure I include these links for anyone who wants to check them out. Um, I'm definitely going to be taking a closer look as well, just to, to, I think, learn from some of the things you're saying. Um, but just to, just to come back to the Florida thing. So let's just, let's go back to, you know, now if, you know, the Florida news hits, right. Is it the same game plan as kind of the, the big rescheduling news, like just maybe market by true leave or, you know, something very exposed to Florida, although I think true leave would be the name, um, and kind of ride the wave and, and trim. Is that the same game plan or how do you, do you think any differently about it? Yeah, that's roughly the same game plan. And also again, keeping in mind, you know, you get the headline, okay, we're on the, the, the ballot, but it's also not a shoe in. And sure. then at that point, you got to watch the polls. And that was big in 2014, where, you know, heading into the votes, we were pretty darn sure that Washington and Colorado were going to pass. And mm -hmm. so the, the majority of the money to be made was leading up into the actual vote. And so you got to watch those uh, probabilities because that essentially tells you how much of the move is priced in. You know, if it's, if it's a 50% chance that, that we're going to get 60% to pass the vote, then we're only going to be pricing in half of the potential if it does pass. Whereas if we get the poll numbers that say, yeah, it's 90% chance that this is going to pass by the time you get the actual vote, 90% of that move is priced in at least in the short term. So, uh, I can't stress enough, you know, if we do get it confirmed on the ballot, we will get a move up in response to that, but that's there's still another hurdle to go. And watching the the, the ballot, I should say the the polls that tell us uh, the probabilities as to whether it's going to actually pass or not, that then becomes the most important thing. Dan, I uh, we're at the end here, and I really want to thank you for joining us. It's always you know interesting talking to you and getting a different perspective um, from someone with your set of expertise. I just want to give you the last word here. What should people be thinking about? What do you want to leave people with? And what is going to be a very exciting election year? Uh, if you are investing or longer term mindset in this sector, the number one fundamental thing you need to understand is dilution. And uh, mm. that's 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 the, the biggest lesson for me in this sector early on was just not understanding what dilution was and why is there constant downward pressure and what's convertible debt and all this you know, that's that to me is the number one misunderstood thing where people will blame shorts and manipulation. It's not, it's just dilution and convertible debt. Uh, it's very clear that that's what's taking place. So if you want to, you know, increase your fundamental prowess, I would say uh, focus on learning about debt and, and convertible, uh, I should say dilution and convertible debt. And those are the kind of things you can find by reading a balance sheet, people. Yes. <laughs> yes. When they're running out of money, what the debt is, what the terms are, what kind of warrants are attached to it, et cetera. So uh, nice convergence of topics there. Um, Dan, thank you for, so much for joining us. I'm going to include Dan's socials. I think he's absolutely somebody you should be following on YouTube as well as Twitter. Uh, and I'm going to include a link to some of his free resources. Thank you again, sir. CINpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.
This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.